Good morning. It's good to see everybody here. Great to hear everybody singing. Great to be able to lift our voices in praise of God, isn't it? Now, I don't know if you sometimes find that life seems to hurtle along at quite a pace. And we're always rushing from one thing to the next. And life's full of noise and phones are pinging and notifications are coming up and uh, it's just one thing after another after another and sometimes in all the rush of life it can be quite quite easy to neglect to take time to look at the sort of big questions of life and sometimes it is important just to get some time when you can step back a bit we switch off the phone or silence the notifications. You know, one of the things I love doing sometimes, I don't do it as often as I should, late at night, you know, go out to the back door with my jacket on this time of year, maybe even a hat as well, take a cup of coffee, sit down and just look up at the stars and think, wow. Or there's a place just out the back door, ten minutes walk just out into the hills behind Kingswells and... Uh, Again, you can stand there on a dark night and look up and see, I don't know how many stars. I remember looking up once, they estimate how many we can see by the naked eye and just be somewhat taken aback with the wonder of God's creation. And sometimes you just start to reflect on things. Well, we're going to read a passage just now. It's Matthew chapter 19 and verse 16 to 30. And... It's a passage that deals with the big questions of life. See if you can spot the questions as we go through. We're going we're to focus on three questions this morning as we look at these big questions. See if you can spot them as we read from Matthew 19 and verse 16. And behold, a, a man came up to him, came up to the Lord Jesus, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honour your father and mother. And you shall love your neighbour as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go. Sell what you possess and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved but Jesus looked at them and said with man 
this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, will receive hundredfold, and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Did you notice some of those questions that appeared in the passage that people asked? We're going, to, we're going to structure the message this morning around three of these questions. Here's your three headers, if you like. It's three questions. First question. What must I do to have eternal life? That's verse 16. It was the rich young man asking the Lord Jesus, What good deed must I do to have eternal life. There's question number one. What must I do to have eternal life? We're going to look at that. Later on in the passage, once the young man has gone away, very sad, very sorrowful, he's got great possessions, or maybe more accurately, well, that's, that's actually, of course, the word of God, but the possessions had him. They had his heart, didn't they? And uh, the man goes away and the disciples say, well, who then can be saved? That's verse 25. There's our second question. So what must I do to have eternal life? Who then can be saved? The disciples ask that second question. And then the third question, further down the passage, what then will we have? That was Peter, one of the disciples, saying, look, we've left everything and followed you, followed the Lord Jesus. What then will we have? And Peter asked that question of the Lord Jesus. So here's our three questions. They were all asked to the Lord Jesus. First one by the rich young man, what must I do? to have eternal life. Second question, who then can be saved? Third question, what then will we have? We're going to look at those three questions. We're going to learn some lessons from them. We're going to learn what they mean to us. Now, if we had done a little flashback, we would have seen that just before this, we've read about children being brought to the Lord Jesus. And we've read that the disciples wanted to turn them away. But the Lord Jesus said, no. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. So he's welcomed the children. And now a rich young man. Who was a ruler, a a religious leader of some sort. He comes up to the Lord Jesus with his question. What must I do to have eternal life? And this rich young man, he's eager, isn't he? He comes up, in fact, if we had read uh, some of the other accounts that we read about, about, uh, about this episode in Mark and Luke as well. And he comes running. Uh, So he's eager, and he's respectful. He kneels down, we learn from one of the other accounts, and he addresses the Lord Jesus respectfully. He says, teacher. And he's clearly a religious man. He's a religious man. Some sort of position of leadership in religious circles. And he comes out with his question. What must I do to have eternal life? What good deed, specifically, must I do to have eternal life? Verse 16. Now, his question makes it clear that there are already certain things that he knows and believes. He obviously believes that there is a God. 
he obviously believes that there is something after life. He believes in an afterlife. And he believes in something called eternal life because he's asking and he says, I, I, I want it. And actually, that probably puts him in a different position to the vast majority of people in northeast Scotland in 2022. You see, I find that the questions people are often asking these days people don't tend to ask what good deed must I do to have eternal life they might ask well you know is there a God or why, why do you believe there's a God or and there's a, there's, there's a fair chance that they don't believe that there's anything after death and they'll either not believe that there's a God or if there's a God not the God that the Bible describes and people will often come with perceptions about what Christians are like and what Christians believe and those perceptions may have been skewed and affected by their own experiences of maybe organised religion maybe negative experiences that they've had sometimes negative experiences with Christians and it's important when we're talking to people about spiritual matters about matters related to these sort of issues eternal life, the gospel of Jesus Christ that we take time to listen and understand where, what people currently understand because there may be some myth, basic misconceptions that need set straight first of all and you start from where the person's at and take them on to what they need to hear and to tell them about the Lord Jesus so it may be that you're sitting here today and you're already saying yes I get that there's a God Um, I get that there's something after death Um, but if some of that is stuff that you're not sure about then grab me at the end and we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about that because we're going to sort of start from the starting point at the moment that this rich young man came at where clearly he accepted and understood that there was a God the God as revealed to us in well he would have had the the Old Testament scriptures and a God who is absolutely holy and absolutely righteous he would have understood that death isn't the end of our existence and so he's starting from that basis so we'll, we'll start from that point but if anything up to that point is something that you, you want to discuss and don't quite get grab me later so it comes up, running up and kneels before him as his teacher what good deed must I do to have eternal life so this, this rich young man, this religious man has a presupposition He's starting from the assumption that the route to eternal life is based on doing a good deed. There's something else I need to do in order to deserve to earn eternal life. That's his presupposition. That's his framework of reasoning. It's actually interesting, isn't it, to see how the Lord Jesus answers his question. He starts from the young man's own logic and says, "Okay, let's follow that through. Let's follow your reasoning through and follow it through to its logical conclusion. It's probably a different way to, if, if, if you had someone come up to you and say, what must they do to inherit eternal life? I wonder whether I might have tackled it in my naivety somewhat differently. 
come to the same answer, but starting from a different point. But the Lord Jesus says, okay, we'll take you, we'll take you from your reasoning here. What good deed must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, let's follow this through and follow it to its logical conclusion and see where an attempt to earn eternal life through good deeds, where that's going to take you to. And so the Lord Jesus starts to answer the man's question. First of all, there has to be a basic definition, and that's what what do we mean by good? And that's what he says, first of all. Why are you, there's only one who's good. Why are you asking me about what's good? There's only one who is good. God alone is good. And if we had read Luke's account, we would have said, seen that the Lord Jesus actually said that. There's, there's only one that's good. None good except God. And so he's, in, now, by the way, that's not saying that the Lord Jesus isn't God. Scripture elsewhere makes it very clear that the Lord Jesus is God. John 1 and 1, for example, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the Lord Jesus is truly God. God the Son. But here's the point that's being defined here. What is the standard of goodness? The man has come, the rich man has come and said, What good deed must I do to have eternal life? So first of all, we've got to define, what, what do we mean by good? And that's really important. Because often we define good by human standards, don't we? We define good as maybe nice, kind people who do what they can to help other people out. And yes, on a human level, of course, that's a good thing to do. Would that there was much more of us looking out for each other and helping each other. Sometimes we're tempted to define good as somebody similar to ourselves, aren't we? And we say, oh, well, good and nice. And then we start to describe somebody like me. And we, we actually set the standard as something that we think we could maybe attain. But actually the Lord Jesus says, no. Good, you want to do a good deed? A good deed to enter eternal life? Well, let's define good. Good is defined by God. And so he takes this man and says, right, I'm going to stand you in front of the mirror of God's standards, God's commandments. And let's see how you're doing in relation to that standard. He says, you, you want to do something good to inherit eternal life? Okay, let's, let's go look in the mirror. And so he takes the young man to the commandments and he says, do you know what? Keep the commandments then. And the man says, well, which ones? Of course, you can't pick and choose which bits of God's word we obey. But the Lord Jesus takes them, by and large, the Ten Commandments, and then one overarching commandment. He takes them to some of them, though. It's interesting. And, and these are in Exodus 20, and you could, you could track them if you like, and you would see that the first one that he mentions is you shall not murder, and that's in Exodus 20, in verse 13. It's commandment number 6. And then you shall not commit adultery. That's commandment number 7. You shall not steal. Commandment number 8. So we've gone 6, 7, 8. You shall not bear false witness. That's number 9. So we've gone 6, 7, 8, 9. And just when you thought you knew where you were going next, he then goes to 5. Honour your father and mother. And that's Exodus 20 and 12. So we've gone 6, 7, 8, 9, 5. Okay, so we've got 5 of the commandments listed there. And then he gives an overarching commandment, which is actually from Leviticus. Leviticus 19 and 18. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. And of course that kind of encompasses all of how we will deal with other people, other humans. And these are commandments, you notice, if you look at the the sort of aspect that they deal with, they deal with our relationship and responsibility to each other. How we interact with each other as human beings. So, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear bear false witness, honour your father and your mother. 
And you know what? We'd all do well to pay heed to how we look out for other people and how we interact and deal with other people and how we look out for those uh, that that, that, uh, are fellow human beings. How we deal with them. And I don't know how you're feeling by this point. You know, we've only looked at five plus an overarching commandment, love your neighbour as yourself. But I'm feeling pretty inadequate by this point. You know, okay, look and say, okay, well, some of these points, okay. Never told a lie, though. And then that overarching one, always loved your neighbour as yourself. Always put my fellow human being's needs on a same level and attach the same importance as my own needs. When so often the thinking these days is, what matters is me. I have a feeling pretty inadequate by this point. The young man's feeling surprisingly confident, isn't he? He says, you know what? All these I have kept, verse 20. In Luke's account, he adds, from my youth upwards. Ever since I was a young man, he's still a young man, but ever since, you know, for many years, I've kept these commandments. Haven't murdered, haven't committed adultery, haven't stolen, haven't broken false witness, haven't uh, dishonoured my father and mother. And he even believes that he's loved his neighbour as himself. Um, more of that maybe later as we see how this unfolds. So he's feeling kind of confident. So the Lord Jesus says, okay, right, so we're still trying to inherit eternal life through attaining God's standards yourself. Okay, let's go on. One more thing the Lord Jesus says, verse 21. Sell what you've got. Sell what you possess. Give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. And you could perhaps feel a pin drop at that point. I can imagine the conversation. And suddenly the man realises that actually there's a problem here. He's got lots and lots and lots of stuff. Great possessions. He's very rich. Sell it all? Okay, sell it all and keep the money and buy better stuff. No! Sell it all and give the money away to the poor. And and then come and follow the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus puts the finger on the man's problem, doesn't he? He says, you know what? You think you're quite hot on commandments 5 through to 9. Okay? But let's just look at some of the others. And it's kind of like, he doesn't quite have to spell it out. But it's back to commandment number one. And says, you know what? No other gods before me. God has to be number one. And suddenly we see that for this man, God is not number one. He's, on his own account, pretty decent at treating his fellow human being decently. But put God number one. You see, for this man... What he had, his riches, his possessions, were number one. And we never got as far as number ten, did we? 
You shall not covet. Well, and there was a problem for the man, wasn't there? And sell all your stuff and give it to the poor. Give the money to the poor. Well, actually, maybe, maybe he was a little bit bold with his assertion that he had always loved his neighbour as himself. If he did, how would that? How, what would his reaction have been to sell all his stuff and giving his money to the poor? And the Lord Jesus has put his finger on the problem, and the man goes away sad. He's got lots of stuff. And in his heart those possessions have got him. And those possessions are his number one. They're his idol if you like. They're his, they're his God if you like. Okay. It's easy enough for us to point the finger at that man isn't it? But we know don't we. That whenever we point a finger at someone. There's four pointing back at us. So let's look at ourselves. And against the mirror of the ten commandments. I'm going to admit. I felt pretty inadequate a long time ago. You know. Commandments five to nine. Okay. I'm already starting to see how far I fall short of God's standard. Let alone always putting God first. And let alone always loving my neighbour as myself. The old man's gone away. He's gone away very sad. And the disciples have a question at this point. They're puzzled. This young man. Good living. Religious. Rich. If he can't inherit eternal life, what hope is there for anybody? Who then, question two, can be saved? We're looking at verses 23 to 26 now. The disciples are astonished because the Lord Jesus says, Look, do you know what? It's easier, verse 24, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not very good at threading needles, okay? Getting a thread through the eye of a needle, challenging enough. Camel through the eye of a needle? It's not going to happen, is it? Doesn't matter how good you are at threading needles, you're not going to have a camel through the eye of a needle, okay? It's impossible. That's the point. And that's where we get to if we follow this young man's well-intentioned attempts to earn eternal life through good deeds. It's impossible. Guess how many people in the whole world today, through the whole of history, guess how many people, if it was eternal life, that, if, if eternal life was gained by doing good deeds, how many people would have that eternal life? None. Not one of us in here, not, not me, not that rich young man, and dare I respectfully say it, not, not you either. <laughs> None of us. So, who then can we say, well, the Lord Jesus says with man, it's impossible. And if the passage ended there, and if I sat down just now, it would be the most depressing message you would ever have heard. And I wouldn't blame you for never coming back. But the passage doesn't end there. And the Lord Jesus says, he looks at them, he looks at the disciples, he says, With man, verse 26, this is impossible. But, 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 and there's hope. But with God, all things are possible. Do you know what is wonderful? 
follow this through in your Bible later if you want if you want, if you want a little bit of a, an exercise to do this afternoon look and see which Bible passages you can find which have got the little phrase but God but God it's lovely to look at some of them I'm going to give you two just now here's your starter okay? because this is where the Lord Jesus brings them to with man it's impossible but with God all things are possible but God let me read you one from Romans chapter 5 verses 6 to 8 and here's what it says for while we were still weak at the right time Christ died for the ungodly for one will scarcely die for a righteous person though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die here it is but God but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners Christ died for us here's the but God isn't this wonderful we've just seen a picture of utter hopelessness with man this is impossible give up go home you're wasting your time but God but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners Christ died for us and against that backdrop of utter hopelessness in our sinful condition against that backdrop God's love bursts onto the scene and isn't it wonderful that this message of the Bible is a message of God's love for us but God shows his love for us and while we were still sinners Christ died for us he died for the ungodly he who is the perfect son of God he who was talking to this rich young man was going to go to that cross at Calvary that's where he went he'd never done anything wrong he was the only perfect man who ever lived he was the only one who could have looked into the mirror of those commandments and truly everyone could have said and did say when they scrutinised his life they find no fault in this man and he didn't need to die for himself nothing he had done wrong but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners Christ died for us here's another but God it's Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 1 to 5 and here's what it says I love this one too and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind but God but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved but God rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you've been saved and then we see it again don't we that backdrop that we've just seen of our utter 
helplessness and hopelessness and sin and just completely desperate situation. And God's love and his mercy and his grace burst onto that scene. And he lavishes it on us. And he lavishes it on us in the Lord Jesus Christ. For it was the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. Is God, being rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ. And God's love and mercy and grace burst onto the scene. And he lavishes it on us in Christ. And it's all about the Lord Jesus that's why the message of the Bible is believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Do you know what we see so far as we've looked at the first question there about what good deed must I do to inherit eternal life? And that second question, who then can be saved? Do you know what we see? To kind of steal a phrase from Tim Keller. God is more holy than we could ever imagine. And God is more loving than we could ever comprehend. And that's what we see when we come to the Bible. So we've looked at two questions. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What, who then can be saved? Peter's got a question now. He says, look, we've left everything. We've followed you. What then will we have? What's going to be the future for us? Peter says, you know, we're following you. What then will we have? That's verses 27 to 30. future is there for the person who follows the Lord Jesus you know trusting in the Lord Jesus as your saviour believing in him, believing that he died on that cross for you it means trusting him and it means following him, it means that he's your Lord, he's your saviour what is there for the follower of Jesus, what future is there for the follower of Jesus, do you know let's get this, let's make this topical what future is there for folks like a missionary couple that I think we all know of now in Ukraine in Lutsk they've been, post- they've been posting updates on Facebook and the night before the Russian invasion of Ukraine here's what they said Rhoda and I are not leaving how can we? it would be a terrible testimony to get up and leave we've been preparing for this day we'd like to turn the gospel hall into a place of shelter we can, the military jets can be heard overhead we covet your prayers we're not any braver than you but confident we are where God would expect us to be so whether in that situation or in whatever situation the followers of the Lord Jesus find ourselves what does the Lord Jesus say is the future for his followers well specifically the, he, he tells Peter that the followers of the Lord Jesus will reign with him one day when he reigns in his kingdom. Specific role for the, the, the disciples where they would judge the twelve tribes of Israel. So they'd reign with the Lord Jesus. And they'll receive a hundredfold what they've left for him. Anyone has left houses, brothers, sisters, father, mother, children, lands. For my name's sake will receive a hundredfold. And they'll inherit eternal life. Eternal life. Knowing the Lord Jesus and being with him forever. Do you know what is a wonderful thing to do? There's, there's some dreadful things going on in the world. And there's many people suffering 
personally. And, and we don't dismiss that for a moment. There are awful things going on right now. Do you know what comfort, I don't say it glibly, but what comfort followers of the Lord Jesus, believers in the Lord Jesus can take? This isn't where the story ends. This is not the end of the story. You see, for the follower of the Lord Jesus, there's eternal life. I'm going to flip towards the end of the story here. It's not really the end of the story because the story never ends. But Revelation 21 tells us this. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. It's verse 3. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And do you know what? However terrible things are right now, for the belie- this is not the end of the story. For the believer in the Lord Jesus, there's hope, there's eternal life. You know, I, I, I heard a song last night that I've never heard before. I was driving in I was actually driving in here. About half past ten at night, I thought, oh, I've not taken the bread out of the freezer for the breaking of bread service. So I thought, better come in and get the, get the bread out of the freezer or we'll all be eating frozen bread. So you please know that was sorted and I was driving back about half past ten, just after half past ten. A song came on the radio that I'd never heard before. It's called Until You Do. It's by a group called St. Aldate's Worship from St. Aldate's Church in Oxford. And that song, well, the words just spoke to my spoke to my heart. Here's what the words said. Through every trial, through every fear, through every tear we can't conceal, God, we look to you. Through every storm, through every pain, through every grief we can't explain, God, we look to you. You became a man of sorrows that we might know joy. You have treasured every teardrop and said that you'd restore. You will not forget your people. You'll make all things new. Until you do, we choose to trust in you. Until you do, we choose to worship you. You are our hope, you are our strength, you are the anchor in the depths. God, we look to you. You will return, you will sustain, you will bring joy we can't contain. Come, Lord Jesus, come. You know, we look at a passage like this. It starts utterly hopeless, doesn't it? If we think we're going to earn eternal life through good deeds. It ends with hope that's greater than we can possibly imagine. For if you abandon hope of trying to earn eternal life and trust in the Lord Jesus, trust in him alone, God's more holy than we can ever imagine, more loving than we can ever comprehend, and the future he's got for his followers, for the believers in the Lord Jesus, is more amazing than we can ever imagine. Do you know, if you don't know if you don't know the Lord Jesus as your saviour grab me at the end if there's anything that I've said that doesn't make sense if there's anything you just want me to point in the right direction about I'll just lurk in the foyer grab me at the end and we'll chat you know these are the big questions of life eternal life and God offers it to everyone who will trust 
in the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your amazing love. You're, you're holier than we can comprehend. We're more sinful than we really can grasp. But your love is beyond, beyond really what we can take in. Thank you for the Lord Jesus. Pray for everybody here, whatever they're going through. Pray that they'll know the wonderful, blessed hope of knowing that this isn't the end of the story. Pray that they'll know the wonderful joy of knowing the Lord Jesus as their Saviour. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.